friends, we're coming at you with Matthew chapter 12 today, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 12 and starting in verse 1. So I wonder if you might uh, read with me today. I'm, I'm using the New Living Translation because I've been organizing my Bibles and I have uh, apparently one for every book of the New Testament. I have like 27 Bibles, <laughs> every different translation. So today I picked the New Living Translation. Uh, we'll talk about some of that later. Matthew chapter 12. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off heads of wheat and eating the grain. Some Pharisees, the religious people, saw them do it and protested. Your disciples shouldn't be doing that. It's against the law to work by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what King David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and they ate the special bread reserved for the priests alone. That was breaking the law too. And haven't you ever read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there's no one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned those who aren't guilty. If you knew the meaning of this scripture, I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. For I, the Son of Man, am master even of the Sabbath. Of course, Christ is the word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God indeed. I wonder if you can think back to uh, house rules when you were growing up as a kid. Did you have house rules? Uh, did you have just non-negotiables in your house? Things that, you know, just you could not get out of doing or not doing based on the rules. I, I thought as I was preparing for this sermon, a couple of things that we had in my home. One was you better be home by sunset. Maybe you had one of those, right? I was blessed to grow up in a time when we could roam free. We could probably have gone to the upper or lower edges of Edmond, Oklahoma, and it wouldn't have mattered as long as we were back at sundown. When those street lights came on, we better be home. We better be walking through the threshold of that door to that house. We could have probably robbed multiple liquor stores and convenience stores on bicycle by golly, we better be home by sundown. <laughs> that was a rule. That was an ironclad rule, right? Uh, of course, some folks grow up and they have rules about cursing, right? No cursing in the house. Maybe you had a cursed jar. You put money in the jar. I always wondered where that money went. I thought it'd be really funny if mom or dad took it to the casino. Like, ah, perfect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everybody grows up with different kinds of rules. And some are sort of ironclad, non-negotiable, and some are more wiggly or flexible, right? So by nature of our growing up uh, lower income, we really never ate out. And maybe that's a rule, maybe that's just a practice, but it was kind of a hard and fast way of living for us that we didn't eat out. But we did have an exception. On payday, we got Pizza Hut. And that was like fancy eating, y'all, especially when we got to go sit in the Pizza Hut. You remember they had like the red and gold see-through cups, the plastic cups and the little tiny ice. And so just to have a Coke and a pepperoni pizza for Pizza Hut was like heaven. 
but it was flexible, right? We usually ate at home and the rule was, you know, we weren't gonna eat out, but on payday, we treat ourselves a little bit. We had a little bit of flexibility. What's funny is in the story we read today, we hear about flexibility and we hear about rigidity as well in religion. You see, Jesus and his disciples are, are walking along, traveling as they often did. And as they were doing this, they walked through a, a wheat field, a grain field. And if you can imagine being so poor and so hungry that you would actually break the top of a wheat stalk off and eat it raw, that's what they're doing. And really, that's probably pretty nutritious. It's organic, it's high fiber, it's unprocessed. It's like all the things you would pay $12 for at Sprouts, except they're getting it for free by walking through someone's wheat field and plucking it. And you might be tempted to think that the problem here, the reason that religious people, these Pharisees, these religious leaders get so upset, is because maybe they're seeing that Jesus is stealing uh, from somebody's field, and that's inappropriate. But actually, it was a rule, <laughs> a practice, uh, something in the Hebrew Bible, that people were supposed to leave uh, some of their harvest out for the poor, for the immigrants, for those who were wandering, to eat as they were traveling. You were supposed to leave the outer edges of your field unharvested, and you were supposed to leave a portion so that people who were traveling could eat as they traveled. What an amazing, remarkable, strange rule that the Hebrew people had. In fact, here's an interesting uh, fact. This rule, this, this rule that nobody follows. I mean, I don't know that any American farmer is leaving the outside edges of his field unharvested so that the immigrants, particularly illegal immigrants, can walk through the field and eat it. I don't know anybody like that. But it's interesting that that rule occurs in the same passage of scripture where homosexuality is apparently banned. And so we're really passionate, most Christians, about don't be gay, right? That's just wrong and evil and terrible. But in the same, probably on the same part of the scroll, if you had scrolled out Leviticus, there's that rule about leave part of your field unharvested and feed the poor. I just don't take that one seriously, right? We're actually going to get to a point with this later in the sermon, so hang with me on that point. But what I mean now is that Jesus, he wasn't stealing from anybody. It was common practice for those who were traveling to you know, pluck a grain. The reason the religious people were so angry and frustrated was because he was doing it on the Sabbath. And so you might be uh, tempted to ask yourself, What's the big deal? You see, the Sabbath comes to us almost from the beginning of Scripture. You go back all the way to Genesis 1. God creates the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, which is Saturday in our construct, on Saturday, God rested, right? And that gives us kind of a, an example and a foundation for why we should also rest. And so in the Hebrew tradition, that became a hard and fast rule. It even became the fourth commandment of those famous Ten Commandments to, to honor that Sabbath, to rest as God rested. And so it became common practice in the Jewish tradition to rest from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That was how they counted a day. And so that was Sabbath time. And you weren't supposed to work during that time. You were supposed to rest. Now, what religious leaders would come to do over time is they did this thing called um, hedging, right? 
And uh, you may have heard this phrase in modern vernacular as hedging your bets. If you've heard that phrase before, it's kind of like having a backup plan, making sure you've covered all your bases, hedging your bets. Maybe if you grew up in a really um, conservative Christian church tradition, like a Pentecostal church or a church that used the King James version of the Bible, then you may have heard a pastor pray a hedge of protection over somebody. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Like, oh Lord, we pray that there's a hedge of protection around this person. And I heard that growing up and I thought, why is a pastor praying for a bush? for a protective bush around some, like a hedge is not protecting anybody. Like that's insane, you know? Uh, but that's just a turn of phrase that came out of a practice from the ancient rabbinical tradition in Judaism. So what ancient religious people in the Jewish tradition would do is they would build what's called a hedge of protection around people in order to keep them from even coming close to committing a sin. Let me give you an example from today. Let's say that in your Bibles, it said, God commands that you are not allowed to leave the boundaries of your neighborhood. You have to stay within the bounds of your neighborhood, right? Think about that. That's a command of God. And so in your mind, that means that you can tiptoe all the way up to the edge. And maybe there's a sidewalk around your neighborhood and technically it's on the outside of the neighborhood, but it's still kind of within that zone and you're not going into the street. And so you like to walk that sidewalk. Okay. It's kind of a gray area. You push the envelope a little bit, right? What ancient religious leaders would do is they would try to protect you by keeping you from even getting close to breaking that law. And so what they would do is create a hedge, a fence that was even narrower than the fence God created. So if God said, don't go out of your neighborhood, religious leaders would say, actually, don't even go off of the block that you live on. If you live on uh, Southwest 20th Street, do not leave that street, right? And that was a tradition and a practice that started to become a calcified, hard and fast rule over time. So you see, God's command was this, and it was looser, it was more open. And religious people with good hearts and good motivation, trying to keep people from breaking God's law, tightened up the law and said, you know, what? let's not even get close to breaking that law. Let's tighten it up really closely. And one of the most ridiculous hedges that religious people built were around the Sabbath day. There were rules upon rules upon rules that had been made up over centuries about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath, right? And so like you were allowed to save your donkey if it, if it ran off or got away or got stuck. You could, you could help your donkey. You could save a life on the Sabbath, right? But you weren't allowed to pluck a grain, <laughs> a piece of, of grain off a stalk of wheat uh, because you were harvesting during the Sabbath and that's work and you're not supposed to do that. So you can see these rules get really complicated. And again, the motivation was good. But the result was this oppressive, legalistic religion that was really um, harming people. And so the religious people come to Jesus. They're like, you know, we saw you harvesting wheat on the Sabbath. That's, that's a violation of the law. That's, that's not okay. And you would think that Jesus might say, you've interpreted uh, that law incorrectly. You're wrong. The law never says, you know, I can't as a poor wandering person can't pluck a head of grain. That's actually not what Jesus says. 
In fact, if you read a lot of commentaries, they'll tell you that that's the point Jesus is making. But I'm not breaking any law here. I'm not breaking a law. It's okay what I've done. You've misunderstood your Bibles. And that's not what he does. Actually, what he does is he gives an example of King David also breaking the law. <laughs> so in a way, Jesus is admitting to breaking a rule. He gets that it's a rule, and he's saying, yeah, well, David broke one too, so I can too. Doesn't that sound like a strange argument that your 11-year-old daughter would make to you? Well, Dad, you break that rule all the time, so I thought I could too. It kind of sounds that way, and it kind of boggles my mind when you read it carefully. And you think, where are you going with this, Jesus? Like, what are you trying to teach us? But I think what Jesus is getting at is something that's really, really important for us as followers of Christ to understand, okay? So maybe it'll help to frame it this way. Often I get asked, how can you be a Christian and be affirming of the LGBTQIA community? Like, how can you do that? You know, scripture seems to be really clear about homosexuality, right? There's a whole six verses or six areas where it's talked about in my 13, 1400 page Bible. So obviously it's very important, very clear, right? How can you be affirming? And there are a hundred ways to answer that question. In fact, you can make long biblical arguments for why you can be an affirming Christian. And I could do that all day long with you. If you want to do that, let's do it. It's fun. It's fun to argue over scripture. It's fun to have a debate about interpretation. But I have to tell you, unfortunately, as much as I like to nerd out on the specifics, that's actually not the most effective way uh, to demonstrate that you're an affirming Christian and why, honestly. Uh, all the biblical arguments that you could make about interpretation and context and history, people's eyes glaze over. The number one way that someone makes a move from uh, non-affirming to affirming in the Christian faith is actually just their own experience of a family member or a friend. If they have a friend who comes out of the closet, if they have a, a, a family member who transitions, then suddenly their mind is blown and they have to reckon with it. Some people dig in deeper and their hearts get harder, whereas others are softened by that experience. And it causes them to go back to the well of scripture and ask themselves, did I miss something here, right? But most people aren't their minds aren't changed by a great scriptural argument, a great hermeneutic, as we call it. So one of the ways that is effective, if you want to explain how you can be an affirming Christian, is to ask a simple question. Are all of God's commands created equally? Or another way of putting it is, are all of God's commands equally in force in our lives? Are all of God's commands equal? And if you're reading Jesus carefully, you'll find out pretty quickly the answer is no. You might remember one time someone walking up to Jesus and asking him, what's, what's the greatest commandment of God? And we cannot miss the fact that Jesus answers the question. Because what Jesus could have said is, there's no greatest commandment, they're all important. All God's commands are created equal, do them all, right? But that's not what he says. When he's asked what the greatest commandment is, he answers with specific commandments. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he answers the question. And what Jesus demonstrates in that moment is not all commands, not all scriptures are created 
equally. There is what we call a higher law. And that higher law for us is the law of love. Love God and love your neighbor. Pretty straightforward. If you need help remembering this command, just think of the cross of Jesus, right? Think of that vertical beam of the cross as loving God toward the heaven, right? And that horizontal beam is loving each other, loving people. And at the cross and at that intersection is Jesus. It's a helpful way for me to remember the most important thing about being a Christian is loving God and loving each other. Now, this is a good example. This passage is another good example of where Jesus says not all commands are created equal. He doesn't say, I didn't break any laws here. I'm fine. He actually says, well, David broke a law and you guys are kind of okay with that. So what I did is probably okay too. In other words, what Jesus is saying is sometimes certain commands don't apply because there's a higher law at work, a higher command at work. And we have to figure out how do we prioritize one command over another, one law over another? Now, I have a long and complicated way of prioritizing these scriptures, but I'm going to try to boil it down into a, a two-minute simplified version. So think of it this way. If the Bible over and over and over again is talking about the same things, those things are important. Those things are priorities, right? And so when you look from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end, there are a few things that every writer, every community, every book agree on. And here they are. One is love, that God is love, that we should love God, that we should love one another. That is consistent from Genesis to Leviticus to uh, the, this passage in Matthew all the way to Revelation. God is love, and we should love God and each other. So that one, high priority, higher law. And if we're trying to keep these other little laws that are hanging out in Scripture and they're causing tension with the higher law, the higher law wins, right? Another example of something that occurs over and over in all of Scripture is the issue of justice. Now, justice is essentially caring for those who are too poor to provide for themselves and too powerless to protect themselves. And so we pull together and we help lift those communities up, those marginalized peoples up. And you see that almost on every page of Scripture from beginning to end. There is this deep concern in God for justice, for doing right by people. As I said before, early on in scriptures, in Leviticus, it's talking about leaving a part of your harvest for the poor and the immigrant. And it specifically says for the foreigner, for someone who's wandering, who's a refugee, an immigrant, leave part of your harvest for them to eat. That's justice. It's a way of caring for the poor and the marginalized. And that occurs over and over again in Scripture. You see it in all the prophets talking about how we treat the poor, how we treat the vulnerable, the orphan, and the widow. And then it even carries over into the New Testament, into the Christian tradition. There's this story of a guy named Paul. And Paul encounters Jesus, the risen Jesus. And when he does, he determines that he's being called to reach non-Jews, to reach what we call Gentiles. And so he goes to the big leaders of the church at that time, who were all Jewish, uh, James and John and Peter, these, these really important people. He goes and talks to them and he says, look, God has called me to reach out to these non-Jewish people. And I don't want to make them eat our diet or follow all of our unusual rules because they're not used to that stuff. 
So I'd like permission to go talk to them, but not make them do all these other things. So James and John and this, this group of church leaders debate this and talk about it. I'm sure pray about it. And, and they come back to Paul and they say, you know what? We're good with that. You go, you preach the gospel to the non-Jews. The only request we have, the only command we have is do not forget the poor. Don't forget to feed people. Don't forget to take care of people who are struggling in life. That was a one request. That was a one carryover of the whole Jewish tradition, of all the books of the Hebrew Bible, of the 613 commands of God in the Hebrew Bible. The early church fathers said, you know what? You can go preach to non-Jews. Do not let them neglect the poor. So you can see there are hierarchies to the commands of God, and there are some that take priority, and there are some that take lower priority. And some of those that are at the very top are things like love and justice, forgiveness and mercy. And today we see that right here in our scripture where Jesus, talking about breaking a law, is saying there's a higher law, and he says right there, I desire mercy, not sacrifices. Of course, he's quoting from the Hebrew Bible, but what he's saying is the higher law is about mercy. There are people who are poor and need to eat. And so if they harvest on the Sabbath, it's more important that we take care of the poor than that we abide by this little rule that we've decided is really important to us. And so that harkens back to this idea of how can you be an affirming Christian? Or why would you welcome folks with disabilities in your church? Why would you care about an immigrant or a refugee from Afghanistan? Why would you care about any of that? And aside from the fact that God has given us all conscience that drives us to want to care about everybody, uh, the fact is we don't. We have this sinful part of us that's selfish and, and wants to take care of our own and doesn't want to be inconvenienced or threatened by the outside. And Jesus comes back again and again and says, look, I know we have all these rules. I know it feels like you're supposed to be against gay people, against illegal immigrants, uh, against folks with disabilities, because clearly God's judging them for something. Right? All these preconceived notions that you have, I recognize that you're doing your best to obey these, these rules, but we have a higher law. That higher law includes love, justice, mercy, and forgiveness. So I would just welcome you to take Matthew 12, the, the first few verses there where this story occurs, and uh, meditate on it. Really ask yourself the question, how do I prioritize the Bible in my life? How do I prioritize 613 commands of Scripture? How do I figure out what's important? Meditate on that. Ask yourself that. Read the words of Jesus, the Christ, because as he says, he's Lord of the Sabbath. He gets to decide what's Sabbath and what's not. And he makes clear to us here that Sabbath rest is important, but it's more important to love your neighbor and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Amen. Amen.